Hello, today is Monday, April 20th, 2020. My name is Matt Fury, and you are listening to The Rough Cut. Okay, well, hey there. Thank you for dropping by. I appreciate it. I admit I can really use the company these days. Uh, I'm going a little stir-crazy here at the studio. Maybe you are too, wherever you are. This show is all about connecting with people, and and that's probably the best part about it for me is when I hear from a lot of you that listen to the show. And uh, I want to thank you all for doing that, the ones that actually write anyway. And I certainly want to thank you for listening as well. It's um It's been a lot of fun to meet you and to hear your thoughts and ideas about the show. And there's been quite a few emails lately um, on a couple of different fronts. First is I'm getting a lot of emails from from students, from film students, you know, asking about getting into the business, telling me about how they're, you know, trying to wrap things up at school and in this current situation. And um, I can imagine, you know, trying to to finish your college career and then break into the business at the same time while all this is going on is is not easy. Um, but you know, what I said a few minutes ago is what it's all about. It's all about making connections. And I think you hear that come through in a lot of these interviews that we do is you know, networking and your social skills are every bit as important, if not more so than some of the, you know, the creative stuff or your, or your technical knowledge of Avid or any other, you know, editing system. So don't ever forget that part of it is it's all about uh, people and working together. As far as advice on, on breaking into the business, um, I can only aggregate what I hear from other people that I interview. And um, aside from the networking part of it, I think a big component, uh, since a lot of you have been asking, is to be the answer to somebody's questions, to be the the person that solves a need they have, not just, you know, about, you know, getting in and being an assistant editor. There's Sometimes you have to find a weird angle uh, to break into a space, you know, to, to become part of a, a crew. And it's not always going to be, hey, we're looking for an assistant editor. And some advice I give to people is is look to get in with companies that support those shows and and movies and things like that that you want to work on you know get a job with a rental house get a job with a tech reseller be a technician be the person that comes on site and sets up their editing equipment it might not be your dream job and it certainly might not be something you want to do even in the short term but it'll get you in the door and that's really a big part of what it's all about is just getting in the door and making them aware of you and and what your intentions are and like i said if you solve a need or you answer a a question or fix a problem that they have, they're going to find a way to keep you around. Anyway, that's my short speech on how to possibly find a job or get into a to an environment you want to be a part of. Uh, I mentioned there was some other feedback, and that was on uh, the show we did last week, the psychology of sound design, which was a bit of a departure for us in terms of you know focusing completely on sound. And people seem to really like it. So I'm going to try and do my best to to continue on that thread of not just focusing on picture editorial, but also working in sound and and probably visual effects too, uh, if I can do it. And uh, another thing I liked about the show we had last week was that it was a panel. And I like those if for no better reason than it usually means there's less of me talking. And the last time we did one, in fact, I think the only time we did one was on unscripted television back uh, last year. If you haven't heard that one yet, um, it was really fun and, and, and funny too, I thought. And I realized that even though we talked about reality TV back then, I haven't really covered reality or unscripted television. And that's too bad because there's so much to talk about. And getting back to people looking for work, you know, with reality television, there are a lot of these shows and they require lots of people. So that's probably a really good way, a really good avenue to start off your career in post-production. And I figure if you're going to start exploring reality TV, you might as well start at the top. 
And there's no denying that NBC's The Voice has been at the top of the game for the past decade. And you can certainly credit the many, many creative men and women working behind the scenes to make all that happen. We're very lucky to have two of those people with us today. Editors John Larson and Robert Malakowski have been with the show since the beginning back in 2011. And for those of you keeping score at home, The Voice is now in the midst of its 18th season. So that's a lot of reps that John and Robert have gotten in, which means they know a thing or two about how unscripted TV works, especially when it's what's called shiny floor reality television. Now, in case you couldn't do the math on your own, shiny floor is all those performance competitive type shows that are in a big studio with a host. And those performers in that host are generally standing on a pretty shiny floor. I guess that's one way you could get into reality TV. You could be the person who mops the shiny floor. But maybe there are a few other ways. Let's ask our friends from The Voice, editors John Larson and Robert Malakowski. I will say my chair does spin, but uh, there's no button. Well, maybe next season. You know, every discussion that we have these days kind of has a before and after component just because of uh, you know the world situation. So you know, at some point we'll get to talking about where you guys are at today, but I really want to start now sort of going back a bit, you know, a while ago, I would say probably late last year, maybe late last summer, we had a panel on unscripted television where the whole goal was to challenge some of the misconceptions about reality TV. And we came out with a few universal truths and we'll, we'll see how they hold up here today. Um, But before we get into what you're doing currently, let's start with where you both were at career wise when you joined the voice back when it started, I think a decade ago, sort of a trip down IMDb lane, uh, maybe John, if you want to kick us off, tell us about where your career was at uh, around 2011, 2010, when you started with The Voice. I had been working on reality. Pretty much that's that's the extent of my resume. I mean, I went to the American Film Institute initially as an editing fellow, uh, you know, like most people who come to LA wanting to make films and, and tell stories. So I kind of naturally transitioned into reality. I'd worked on several network shows, a lot of smaller budget cable shows, but for the most part, it had all been reality. Robert and I had, had worked on a couple shows prior to The Voice, um, but I just kind of, you know, got an opportunity to work for three or four weeks on the very first season uh, in the battle round section. And then after that started season two, and I've been on uh, since then. How about you, Robert? Um, I actually moved to Los Angeles back in the mid nineties and was working with Gaffin records doing music videos and, uh, actually purchased my first Avid, uh, back then. Um, I fell into doing a lot of promotional work trailers used to do stuff at propaganda. And like I said, a bunch of music videos and stuff with Gaffin records. And then right around 2000, I got a call from a friend of mine who was working on a at that time, a show called uh, Eco Challenge, and he was also doing a side gig on Survivor. So I came in, and so I've been working with Mark Burnett's uh, shows since that time. And as John said, when uh, you know we had run into each other on a bunch of other shows that Burnett had done, including like Shark Tank and Bully Beatdown and uh, Rockstar in Excess and Supernova and Star Maker. So when they launched this one, this seemed to be exciting simply because it was completely different from all the other reality shows that was out there at the time. I had done the first season of American Idol, but this was, you know, something that was right in with everybody that I knew, like John, people I was going to be working with that I had known and uh, appreciated over the couple of years. So uh, it was an immediate jump on that and continue moving forward. A question that gets asked a lot, certainly from people starting out, you know, I get a lot of emails from film students or people that had just finished 
film television school, just about job hunting. Of course, that's going to be top of mind for them. Um, and just the sheer importance of networking. I mean, Robert, you just talked about how, you know, you've met people over the years and you run into each other and you get to know one another. And is that kind of social skill crucial to staying in the game and getting new jobs? For me, I think it's, it's the main social skill that editors need to craft before anything else, because really your producers and the people that are going to hire you don't care if you're hitting an avid keyboard, final cut pro da Vinci or whatever, they don't care how quickly you're going to do that. They want to know that you're going to take care of them, take care of the material that they're bringing to you. And you're kind of acting as a, as a go between an intermediary or uh, almost a consigliere at, at some point to helping them achieve their dreams. So the more that you can relate and deal with them and work with them, the better. And I mean, I don't know about, I'm sure John's in the same way, but I don't think I've made or had to do a, a resume in the last two decades just because it's been, oh, I've worked with him for this. I've worked with him on this. Let's bring him on that. That seems to be more of the case more than I fill out a resume and send out a demo reel to get work now. Yeah, I agree with that 100. percent It's it's you know knowing the the craft of of editing and the tools and all of that stuff certainly is important. But being able to take your skills and be consistent, be dependable, be hardworking, show up on time, deliver your cuts on time those are the things that the producers who are hiring are going to be looking for. So I think the biggest thing that I would probably you know, want to impart on people is, is certainly know this, the skills, but, you know, you have to be dedicated to the job in order to create those relationships that will continue to get you hired. And, you know, obviously getting the foot in the door is, is key, but once your foot's in the door, it's really up to you to maintain those relationships to, to keep those doors opening. From time to time, I'll hear at least anecdotally from editors in unscripted television, the pluses and minuses to this kind of career in editing. Now, this doesn't have to be specific to the voice unless you want it to be, but what are some of the best things about doing reality television or unscripted television? And what are some of the more challenging aspects of it? I'll start with you, John, if you got something teed up. I think the most rewarding thing, especially on our show, because we're dealing with so many characters in every season and then from episode to episode, is you're getting to tell several stories and being able to tell those stories concisely and, and working with the footage and especially with our show there, it's probably a double-edged sword because we do have so much footage to work with. Not that that's the drawback because it really allows us freedom, but it is a challenge to go through the amount of, of material that we have and put together those stories. I, I definitely agree with John. It's, it's an exciting enticement. It's like going in every single day to a puzzle that you're putting together. And it's different every day. It's a different challenge. Everybody's story is different. And one of the things that I really like, and I believe it's impactful in, in the job that we do, is you know absolutely nothing against scripted or anything like this. But when, we're, when John's speaking of characters and stories, ours are real. The people that leave our stage, get on our stage, are affected by that. And what I mean by that is when, you know, such and such actor leaves a, a role, they're leaving a role. What we do is going to directly affect these people's lives. And if however they're treated by us, how their story is told makes a difference in their life. And that I think is a responsibility that as reality editors, some of them, some people overlook that. Some of them respect that. Some of them don't understand that because of the way reality can be manipulated. 
but that's not what we're doing on specifically the voice. We are making sure that we're giving everybody the best chance to achieve a dream that they've had and to give them an experience that, that without something like the voice, they would otherwise not have. Well, that's really interesting. Do you, you become emotionally invested in, in these people and do you relate to some of them more than the others and you actually sort of get invested in their story? I think every, I think you almost have to get invested in their stories in order to really do the story justice. You know, as you're going through the footage and you're listening to their interviews and you're, you're seeing them interacting with their friends and their family, that are there to support them. You know, you really can't help but kind of become part of their story in a way, I guess, is, is kind of a, an oblong way to say it. But if you don't get invested, then I don't think you're able to tell the story. Yeah, I mean, we've we've all got our own aspirations, and and part of what the voice is doing is it's giving these people a chance to um, to possibly achieve that, and we want to make sure that everything that we're doing is giving them that same opportunity. Whether it's it's telling their story, their performances, or whatever, uh, you know, you ha- I think you have to get somewhat emotionally involved in this to see and feel what they're doing, and to make sure that you're being true to their story. One of the things that you know, I know is really a tenet here is that we don't change an angel into a heel or heel into an angel. We ride and we play the stories as they are. We emphasize, we make sure everybody feels that, but we're not going to change that story. And if you're feeling it as you're going through and editing it, I think that's one of the ways that we know that we've got a good story ahead of us. So the show has gone through some some minor changes to the format over the years, but largely has followed this continuous construct. And this is for the benefit of people that may not have seen the show before. But you start off with a pattern of you know, auditioning singers called the blind auditions, and then having them compete against one another in what are called the battle rounds, where their your fate is kind of determined by their coaches. And then the show shifts into a whole other gear by going live, and the viewers are the ones that vote for the favorites through various means. That's that's the basic rundown of the series, I, unless I'm leaving something out. But I don't think yeah. I mean, one one thing. There's a battle round, and then there's a knockout round, which knockout is very, round. very similar to the battles. Only in the in the battles, it's a duet. The two artists sing together. In the knockouts, the artists choose their own songs and then perform individually. That's still a coach decided, uh, you know, winner and loser in, in that situation. But it, it in the the arc of the show, it also helps the coaches. It helps the audience because, you know, the duet is chosen by the coach. The knockout performances are songs that the artists choose, which helps further their story. It helps, you know, it helps kind of illustrate the types of artists that they want to be, the, the, their goals and the types of songs they want to sing. So, so from blinds through knockouts, it's, it's an arc in the format of the show, but it's also a character arc for them. When do they bring you in for a new season? You know, at what what phase do you jump in and just sort of walk us through the type of work you're doing as you go through each of those different phases of the show? Generally, the the editors will start within about 48 hours of our shooting the blind auditions. Usually like a week to two weeks prior to that, the producers will have possibly picked out some of the contestants that have an amazing story that they'll want to do a follow home. So we'll send producers, we'll send camera crew out, shoot that stuff. And as that's coming back to uh, Universal Studios, we're shooting the blind auditions, we'll bring in the editors, and we'll have editors starting on everything from unique follow-home packages on artists to uh, some of the editors starting to work on the coach comments 
and uh, the material shot here where they're interviewed by Carson. And then we've got a couple of other editors that are specifically working on the performances for the blind auditions. At that point, editors are running basically five to six days a week until we get to the live shows. Um, because the battle rounds are similarly structured where there will be a reality shoot, another stage shoot, and all that material again will be brought back to post where editors will continue working on all of that. Um, during the live shows, things are a little bit easier in that um, the, the stage stuff is actually shot live. Uh, we have rehearsals going on during the week, so we'll have uh, a smaller amount of editors working on the rehearsal packages, such as, uh, you know, Carson will say, well, let's see what happened this week. And it's a two and a half minute to three minute package with um, the coach and the, the coaching moments and the rehearsal moments and some behind the scenes things. But then when we go live on stage, that is actually live. So the editors are working on a, a much more condensed schedule. Usually it's what, John, three and a half, four days for uh, the rough cuts? Yeah, they'll typically shoot uh, like the, it's Monday, Tuesday live show broadcast and they'll shoot either late Tuesday night or Wednesday morning, those rehearsals. And then we were usually locking those packages by Saturday morning at the latest to get them uh, into finishing and, and mix and all of that stuff. So it's about a three three day turnaround on, on most of those. One of the things about Unscripted is that you have less to work with. You know, in Scripted, you literally have the script. Here, you're having to find stories and you're having to look for those unique, special moments within the footage to make something really magical happen. How do you go about finding that story? It's a lot of watching footage. Um, in, those, in those early rounds, in the blind audition specifically, we're typically starting with between 70 and 90 artists that'll go through the audition process. So there's a lot of footage to go through. The editors are watching it all down. The producers definitely will come back with a beat sheet of kind of the moments from the shoots that really stuck out, the hit list from the interviews that are done. And then the editor kind of traditionally gets their their editor's pass and then the producers will come in and, and sit down and and then it becomes a collaboration to to really fine fine tune it and and hone in the story and and really kind of make it sing so to speak so in terms of um the different types of roles within something like this producers story editors assistant editors just can you give me an idea of the the type of roles that that, that exist within the post environment in the voice or any kind of reality show like this we've tried several different ways of working since season one um, from everything from one editor takes uh, one character's storyline from battles uh, from the blinds battles and all the way to the end um, and what we have found was the most efficient due to the, the the interesting aspect of the show is that what we shoot on the blinds and the battles and the way it's presented in the show is not necessarily linearly what happened um, as John will attest, we, we often have the network play uh, Boggle with our show, where they may pull an artist from episode one, put them in episode four, pull one from five, put it in the two, and we have to revamp and readjust the show. So we've, we've actually, we walk our editorial the same way, where um, we have everybody working on individual artist pods and sections. We have uh, offline editors working on that. We actually have some uh, two performance editors that are consistently working on all the performances. So those have a, a good feel to them. 
Um, and then we have finishing editors that will go through and take over the entire show and bring that all into time and smooth everything out so we don't, so everything has a, a cohesive feel for the end. And then we'll have a final pass with our supervising editors. We'll all go through the entire episode once it's been locked and brought to time and go through it with a fine tooth comb, going over the, any fine story points, visual editorial points. And uh, then, it, then it gets handed off for final uh, uh, lock and color and finish. Yeah, initially, uh, because the blinds, there are so many artists to get through, there's usually a two to three week period where editors will just take an artist and they'll they'll kind of work from beginning to end and, and build that pod out. And then once those, we call them pods, once those segments are built and the, the episodes start coming together, uh, then those editors will typically break up into three editor teams. There's the, the finisher and then two two editors that work along with the finisher per episode. Um, and then uh, the supervisors uh, are, are basically kind of handling several episodes at a time, but they'll, uh, will jump in and, and help with notes or help dial story and uh, additionally, like, everything's pretty, pretty good once it gets into that episode form, but it's always, it's always a, a matter of getting the time out because, you know, as we know, these, these episodes have to come in at time. So, there's a lot of decisions to be made once that initial edit is done. You know, I've talked to some editors that have said, listen, there's just no way I'm going to be able to sit through every frame of the amount of footage that we have. And then others are like, no, I, I have to, because it's those, those things that aren't in the notes that end up being the things that really make the show. Do you have any approach to how you get through all that material? How do you organize your material so that it's easier for you to try and find what you're looking for? Because it's, again, going back to that amount of time that you have, it seems really arduous to try and, and get through all that stuff. Yeah, there is a lot of material. We have transcribers that are working diligently. So our interviews, we get transcription, the stage, we get transcription. We're able to use that. You know, I mean, I think every editor, we've got a, we've got a staff. Typically, we've got between 18 and, and 22 editors working per season. So, every, you know, obviously everybody works a little bit differently. I know for myself, I tend to watch the interviews down just to get a sense of everything that's going on when, you know, when, when there's emotion to you to, to highlight when, you know, there's comedy, there's a lot of comedy in our show. So we're always looking for, for those kind of character moments and, and quirky things to, to help bring those characters out. At the beginning, it is, it is very daunting and, and taking an organized approach of, you know, watching the interviews, watching, you know, any of the interactions between artists and coaches, you know, and then just kind of stringing that stuff together and you start paring it down. And with, you know, with any cuts, the the tighter they get, the better they feel. And, and it's just that process of, you know, I'll probably watch cut 20 times before the producer sees it just because I want to make sure that I've gone through and, and kind of really hit all those editorial beats that, that I want to make sure are in there. Yeah, I, I agree with John because I, I do the same thing where when I'm going through a cut, I'll, I'll get it to a point where I'm like, okay, now I'm happy, but then I'll go back through and I'll watch it again with the multi-cam on. And actually, one of the best things that Avid did that helped us this past, uh, this past I think, generation of the software was to open up additional banks past the two because sometimes we'll run up to 26 cameras simultaneously um, with high-speed cameras and stage cameras and stuff like that. But I'll actually go through and watch it again 
but I'll just watch the multicam group to see if I can find any of those side glances, the little looks, the nonverbal stuff that's going to help propel the story just a little bit more. Um, but that's like one of the last things I'll do before I'll finally hand something off. So having been with the show for so long, I mean, again, from the very beginning, do you have to function in sort of a supervisor role? Are you there to sort of help guide the the rest of the team on like, okay, this is, this is the sensibility of the show. And, and do you even have a chance to, to look at each other's cuts to considering how little time there is in the grand scheme of things? As a supervising editor, I am, I do tend to, to see a lot of cuts for the episodes that I'm supervising, but everybody, you know, knows each other's strengths and, and are able to capitalize on that. So there's not a ton of peer review that's really needed at, at this point because the, the crew is so tight knit. So considering the type of show that you guys work on, that it is sort of the, the premier name in, in, in music and TV, I, it'd be a big, big mistake not to ask what your audio setup is in editorial. That's a recurring theme on the, in the podcast here. People talking about, well, I just do stereo or I do LCR or I do 5.1 or we do 7.1. And sometimes it's the reasons are kind of like, well, I just don't want to have to deal with that. And others are just, I don't have the time or budget for that. What's, what's the deal in, um, in the voice? Is it a 5.1? Is it stereo? We deliver in uh, 5.1 and stereo with uh, up to, I'm trying to remember, our final delivery is 22 channels. Uh, during the offline process, we're generally handling mono and stereo all across the board. And with our audio assigns, we, most of our sequences are between 22 to 26 channels of audio that we'll hand off for the final mix. So you have a process. It's obviously very highly refined after this number of years. And certainly, you, it doesn't seem like there's a ton of room for improvising. But you know, as picture editors, do you have an opportunity to sort of get into visual effects, sound? I mean, where where does where do you stop in terms of telling that story in the offline? <laughs> well, I mean, we tend we we do tend to do uh, quite a bit of of audio. Work. I mean, it's a music show, so so audio is extremely important. So there's a lot of you know kind of offline sweetening that we do. Uh, everything goes to the mix house. They, they take care of all of that kind of in the end, but just because it's a, such an audio driven show, we do tend to, to jump into that a little bit. We have a, we have a graphics, amazing graphics guy that, that handles graphics for us and, and works with the producers and the editors to, to kind of dial that in. But, uh, it's definitely, there's not a lot of, as you said, there's not a lot of room for improvisation there. We've got, we've got every coach has a dedicated track on our timeline and music and sound effects. It's all very, very segmented out so that, so that when we deliver these hour long cuts or two hour long cuts in, in some instances, uh, you know, it, it's hopefully very easy for the, for the sound guys to take that and, and move forward and, and continue to tell that story for us. Yeah, the, the backbone of the show is the fact that we keep that all consistent. We speak with our vendors before and after um, every season. So our audio sign set up on our sequences is set up so that our, our post house that's doing the final mix knows what everything is on each channel. They don't have to go looking for or redress everything. We deliver it in a method that allows them to take it and move on uh, as quickly as possible. Um, as far as other visual effects, um, one thing that people don't realize is on certain reality shows, including The Voice, we actually do a fair amount of paint work 
in the online and the finishing process to keep from breaking the fourth wall and to keep the viewers involved in, inside of the show. Um, whether it's hiding camera or crew people or something like that, as John said, we're delivering, you know, two hour shows. And at the heyday of our seasons, at one point we were delivering two, two hour shows a week. So each one of those might have between three to 600 paint shots in an episode that is not a graphic per se to boister the show, but it's to keep a, a, a visual interest in the show and to keep somebody from going, oh, look, there's a crew member or there's a camera person over there kind of stuff. So Robert, you talked about um, the change in multi-camera and, and that was a benefit to you. Over the course of this past decade on the show, have there been other advancements or introductions in technology that have either changed the way you guys work or, or allowed you to do something a little differently, a little more efficiently other than just the multi-camera stuff? Yeah, the, the inclusion of uh, the Avid Assigned LUTs and being able to put that in has been fantastic. When we started off in season one, we were a um, multi-platform and frame rate show. We would shoot the stage interlaced. We would shoot um, reality progressive. Then we went to shooting reality at 23976 and keeping the stage interlaced and bouncing back and forth that. That was a conscious um, decision on on the showrunners where they wanted that immediate look on the stage to feel real, but then they wanted everybody's follow homes and their interviews to have a more filmic look. And then when um, we started shooting everything flat using the RE cameras and the Sony cameras, uh, it really became problematic for us until Avid introduced um, the LUTs and all of the uh, uh, the source settings that allowed that to come into play. And they've continued that with uh, the 4K imagery and the 8K imagery and being able to uh, adjust those rasters inside of the Avid as well, giving the editors in offline as well as in online the ability to uh, basically recompose shots from the larger rate down to HD, which we still deliver it. You guys didn't bring this up, but I have to admit it's one of the things I've heard is something that editors really appreciate about reality television. This is, again, more on the on the career side of things, not so much the the, the show or the content itself. And that is you have a somewhat predictable schedule. I'm sure that can ebb and flow as problems might arise or as things change in the season. But for somebody looking at a career in editorial, is it more, I guess, a family-friendly kind of job to have because you have a more predictable schedule, because it's more, maybe steady is not the right word, but um, it just seems like as editors grow and have families, it's they, they really appreciate that part of unscripted television in that it is something that's a little more structured. Yeah, I mean, I will say, uh, you know, having been on the show since since 2011, I've been extremely fortunate in, in having a very stable, uh, you know, job situation. But there, the the explosion of reality television has certainly uh, afforded a lot of opportunities for people, and and there are a lot of shows and a lot of editors that I know that are working on other shows. They kind of have a they kind of have a, a, a cycle where they'll go from one show in the, in the spring and then they, they will work for, you know, six weeks in, on a summer show and then they've got a fall show. So it, it definitely is very consistent when you can kind of get that, that cycle for yourself. How about you, Robert? When, when I first started off and before reality was as prevalent as it is now, um, I ran the Ryan Robin of, of, um, I used to cut the Emmys, the Oscars, the Grammys, and like that would be like three months. Then I'd go work at uh, Post House doing promos and trailers for about three months. 
and then uh, Survivor or something would pop up in the fall. Now it's, you know, uh, we've got editors that will finish their time on our show and jump over to America's Got Talent or World of Dance or, you know, with all of those other shows out there and them needing large banks of editors. It's easier for you to stay in reality than it would be to go from um, you know, a, a scripted show that uses two editors for an entire season to another one because they only need two editors. So there's, a, there's the ability to stay in the game and stay active as an editor far longer in reality just because the amount of shows that need large amounts of editors. There's also the, you know, I've, I've got a lot of scripted editor friends that are, they won't go into comedy because they can't. They've been told, well, you're known for cutting scripted drama. You can't come in over here and cut comedy. Inside of the reality world, basically, it's a little bit looser or more welcoming that, you know, John and I could go over and, and cut on another reality-based show just because the, the center template is still there. Whether or not they're going for laughs or going for drama, it's something we can handle, but there's not the, uh, the close-knit, well, you, you only cut this kind of stuff, you only cut that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's less pigeonholing, I think. Yeah, because uh, we have to do it all. Yeah. I, I've certainly heard what you're talking about. Um, let's, let's turn it around. In the medium that you work in, you have to be able to tell all kinds of different stories. You have to find a story that isn't necessarily there. Do you feel like that makes you a better editor when you're working or if you're working in scripted TV or film? I feel like it could. I mean, to be honest, it, it's been quite a while since I've done scripted stuff. So I don't know that I could necessarily speak to that in detail. But I think just, you know, editing and storytelling is the same really no matter what you're doing. It's just the the, the path that you're taking to get to the end result. So I think that having a script is certainly different than, than what we do, but the end result is still the same. Are there any sort of major differences working in an, one, one type of unscripted format than another? And I'm thinking specific to a show like The Voice, where it is a competition-based show. You know, they're all unpredictable to a degree, but in this case, it's almost like sports. Yeah. You know, something is, something is performances are happening, something is taking place, and the outcome is unpredicted. Is there anything that's, from your standpoint as the editor, very unique in that model as opposed to doing something like a, you know, a real housewives or something like there that. There are, there are some limitations. Um, I, I can offset these two between like shark tank and the voice shark tank had limitations on it basically because you've got investors investing in products that are then going to be sold on TV. That was very different from coming over to the voice where we now have the public voting on giving, I think it's a million dollar prize or whatever the prize is now, along with the recording contract to a specific artist. So we actually do have limitations that are governed by the old uh, quiz show um, standard of we have to make sure that when we're voting, when the artists, they're all represented the same way, the, the timing, the voting, stuff like that is taken into consideration, whereas on Shark Tank, that doesn't have to be because the, the public's not voting on it. So between the competition reality shows versus the ones that are non-competition or unstructured, I think is what the Academy calls it. That's, that's a difference is that there are going to be some rules and regulations that have to be followed for that to happen. So you had mentioned the explosion in the amount of unscripted television that takes place. So there's just so much opportunity there. And there are a lot of, you know, again, 
the number of shows, the amount of work that goes into each show seems like a really great place for somebody starting out to try and get their first job. Do you agree with that assessment? And if so, how would you advise an up and coming first time editor or maybe want to be assistant editor, try and break into the world of unscripted television? Uh, I mean, I think the amount of, of material that needs to be cut certainly uh, lends itself to, to people being able to jump in and, and hit the ground running. Uh, I mean, I think the traditional AE to editor path is is always a good one. Um, and, it, you know, and it just goes back to kind of that cliche of, of it's who you know, but but those relationships that you build is is really kind of the best way I feel like to, to get in. We've had We've had PAs on the show that have moved into the AE uh, bay, and we've had AEs that have that have made the jump to come up and cut performances on on our show. So, for me, I think that's probably the most logical and and probably the best the best way to go about it. But there's always those outliers where you you fall into the perfect position and and hit the ground running. So, Robert, what does an assistant editor do on the Voice? I'm always asking them to be better at what they were the day, than they were the day before. And I've always challenged them to, um, to basically finish off whatever AE duties they have and find time in the day to do something more for an editor. Um, the way I was able to get in and do stuff was when I worked at a facility back in the Midwest, I did my daily job and then I would be there four to five to six hours in the evening using the machines that I could because nobody else was on them. And so I, I constantly entice the AEs with the faster and the better you are at being an AE means you're going to get there as an AE, but you need to work for the position that you want to be in. So ingratiate yourself to an editor, find something that they can do that you can do for them, get really good at that and then find the time on your time to do that. It's, um, yeah, I, I don't want them to do free work, but I want them to do more work so they know that they can step out of that position and into an editor's seat. The one bad thing that I have seen in reality TV is a lot of producers who will like an assistant editor because they're very helpful will immediately say, hey, this person would make a great, assist, um, would make a great editor next season. And then that assistant editor is dropped into the editor's seat totally ill-prepared for the job. And what they need to do is they need to look for a mentor. And a lot of people like John and myself may be busy with our day-to-day to go out and actively look for somebody to mentor. But if we're approached by an AE that says, hey, could you help me get into where you're doing? Both of us would not say no to that. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. And so what would you do to help mentor those people that, that you've made that connection with? Um, I mean, I think it's, it's, you know, having, you know, having coffee, discussing the show, discussing the edit, discussing the process, you know, if, if they take the time on their own to, you know, start working on edits and and cutting and, and ask, you know, asking for our input and, and, you know, pointing out the things that they have done well, or the thinking outside the box that, that, that they're seeing because that's really the, the evolution of reality is, is because people are taking non-traditional stories and telling them in a non-traditional way. So anytime that new blood can kind of come in and, and help advance that, 
I think it's it's helpful. So, you know, it's really encouraging where they've done things well or if they've taken an angle that I wouldn't have necessarily thought of taking. Encouraging that is, is I think, the best way to, to kind of get them to continue moving forward on that path. So I talked to a feature editor once and he's, his advice was never, never underestimate the value of lunch. Right. And I th- think <laughs> what he meant was it's that social, it's that non-work work opportunity where you can actually talk about the things that you're doing. And actually you, you have a moment to catch your breath and learn about how the show is going or how the film is going. And I don't know if that same model applies here with a commissary, but uh, hopefully it does. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, the, the the nice thing that we do here is every Friday at around five five thirty, all the editors and the AEs will come out, and we all just have a uh, a cool down at the office, and um, that social engagement really really helps. Because you know, at the at the end of a of a tough season, especially one like this, going through what we're going through, it's it's more important that at the end of the sh- at the end of the season, we're all still able to talk to each other as friends. We're put under uh, an immense amount of strain and pressure to get things done, to create this this great show under the time restraints that we are. And that social engagement's important because without it, we're just a bunch of people, 24 plus of us, sitting in dark rooms watching TV. And that's not a very social activity. You talked about it in the situation that we're in right now. And I opened the, our discussion talking about how there's a before and an after. And hopefully soon there's another after we can get back to sort of somewhat of what our lives were like before. I absolutely appreciate that you can't speak in specifics, certainly because everyone has their own way of doing things that they'd like to keep to themselves. And also that this is a very fluid situation. What you're doing today might not be what you're doing tomorrow. But having just walked us through the basic construct of the way the season works, the way you share material, the way you work, you just talked about having a break together at the end of the day on Friday. And now we're in a model where we're all apart from one another big ideas, big concepts and how you can approach, you know, moving forward that you can share with us? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll jump in here. I think that because we're such a tight net, because we've taken those opportunities, like Robert was discussing, where, you know, everybody's friends with one another on the show. Like we've all worked together for so many years now that it's really been kind of, thankfully, kind of seamless moving into this kind of uncharted territory because the editors that I'm working with on the episodes I'm supervising, I've worked with for, for five or six years now. So I know that I can depend on them to deliver the cuts. And, and, you know, I will say that I am and, and my email have gotten uh, a workout over this last three or four weeks. There's a lot of digital communication, a lot of FaceTiming, but, uh, you know, thankfully, we've been able to kind of ma- manage the transition to where it's, I won't say seamless, and I, I've definitely got to give a ton of credit to the, the assistant editors and post coordinators and, and everybody that has worked tirelessly behind the scenes to make sure that we're able to continue, uh, you know, meeting our, our deadlines and delivering our shows. So before we wrap things up, I'm just curious if you have a, a certain type of editing that you do on the show? I mean, a certain type of content that you edit on the show that you enjoy more than the other. I know, Robert, you started out in music videos. Do you like the music performances? Do you like the the backstage stuff? Do you like the stories, the personal stories that are shot out in the field? What do you like to edit? I, I am all all about the performances. Um, I, I grew up, my first job out of college was actually uh, producing concert promotions and actually producing live concerts uh, for a concert promoter back in the Midwest. So 
I live for that. And since season one, I've been the uh, I've edited all the coach performances that are released, and uh, have been directly involved in cutting the uh, the performances for blinds, battles, and knockouts. The live shows are done by our director Alan Carter, and as I said, those are live. We don't touch those, but the uh, everything in the blinds and the battles and and stuff, and it, it's just really cool to see certain artists that you've never seen before absolutely blow up a stage and get our four coaches excited or take our coaches by surprise with their performance. And every single season, that's what I look forward to is, is there's usually there's a handful of them and you just get into it and you can, you can see it and it's electric and it's just, a, it's a blast. It's a rise for me. And that's, that's what I really enjoy uh, doing on the show. Yeah. I mean, I think I don't, I don't really work with performances. Robert is kind of the spearhead on that one, but I will say, to his point that the nature of the, the show and, and kind of the, the conceit of the shows, the coaches are sitting there with their backs to the audience. So to be able to watch the performances that Robert has cut where, you know, you're kind of in that moment with the coaches and you're, you're not really seeing the artist. You're not really able to, to pass judgment on the artist based on, on what they look like and you have to focus on the voice. So that uh, as a viewer, is one of my favorite things about the show. But as far as an editor on the show, I think the storytelling, I think getting a good character and being able to, you know, kind of cut their story. And, you know, we, we, the characters that we get, we've got 14 year old kids that, you know, this is their first chance to, to, to see if this is what they want to do for the rest of their lives. And then on the flip side, we've got, you know, 55 year old journeyman musicians that have been doing it forever but they've all got the same thing in common is that they want to go out there and and get that break so to be able to tell those stories for those artists and and really hopefully you know get them to the point where they can get their dreams come true i think that's probably the most rewarding and and certainly my favorite thing to to work on and just to pay the compliment back to john one of the one of the things that i like is as i mentioned we're all doing our individual pieces so we're cutting those performances. And then when I see John's backstory or one of the other editors' backstories building up to the moment where, as John said, we've got the, the young kid or the journeyman up there, it's, it's exciting to see how that goes from like an act one to an act two and then act three into the coach's comments. It's really, it's, it's interesting handling that one brief moment, but it's wonderful seeing it that moment become part of an entire story that you didn't realize was completely there. Building on your earlier comments about being all about the music and the performances, I can tell you, I was fortunate enough to go to a taping of a battle round and, you know, for anyone that's ever been to see a, a TV show recorded, it's, it's not exactly what you expect. You know, again, there's some moments of like, okay, these are the nuts and bolts of how you put a TV show together. But on the voice, when that band kicks in and they actually perform, it is amazing. Like I was really blown away just the, how it sounded, how it looked, just the whole the whole package. Um, and so I could see why that would be so much fun to cut because that was absolutely an incredible amount of fun to, to be there and experience live. I guess the last question I have to ask either of you guys is, do either of you sing? Uh, no. Nope. No, not even in the shower. <laughs> hey, for what it's worth, I can't sing either. But who cares? I always got this podcast. I want to thank John and Robert for joining us today to talk about their careers and their work on The Voice. I hope you learned a lot from them. I know that I did. 
Uh, once again, I want to thank all of you for listening to the show. And for those of you that write in, remember, this is your show. So if you have any ideas, suggestions, questions, comments, whatever you got, my email is in the show notes, or you can fill out the comment section on the website. Either way works for me. Just know that I'm always happy to hear from you. As always, I hope wherever you are, you're safe and healthy and doing okay. I'm doing okay too. Let's all do okay together. For now, I'm just going to keep working on this podcast because that's what I do. My name is Matt Fury, and once again, I want to thank you for joining me right here on The Rough Guide.